Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I'll be talking about something I'm super passionate about, cognitive reserve. I'll explain what that is, the benefits of it, and I'll go into ways how you can enhance your cognitive reserve, and also I'll be talking about neuroplasticity. So cognitive reserve, what is it? Well, cognitive reserve is pretty amazing, and if you want to delay degenerative diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's, listen up, because there's plenty of time to do something about it. The only time it's too late is if you've already got it. The concept of cognitive reserve is, in, is important to understanding our brain health or our cognitive health. And that's why the term's been coined cognitive reserve. You can think of cognitive reserve as your brain's ability to improvise and find alternative ways of getting a job done. Imagine you have to drive through the city and there's only one correct route to take. If there's a roadblock, that's it. You're out of options. You can't get to your destination. Or in your brain's case, you can't access that memory. But if you have cognitive reserve, then you're going to have multiple routes that you can take to get to your destination. So if there's a roadblock, you simply go another route. In other words, you can access that memory or whatever you're trying to access in your mind. You've probably heard the term that the brain is plastic. And what they mean by that is that you can change. And your brain can change the way it operates and it can make added resources available to cope with different challenges that you might experience. Cognitive reserve is developed over a lifetime of things like education, your general curiosity, uh, any experiences that you might have, and that's gonna help your brain cope better with any failures or declines that might happen, and you're gonna see that particularly you know, during aging. The concept of cognitive reserve originated in the 1980s, I, I think it was the late 1980s, and that's when researchers found that during autopsy, some people with no symptoms of dementia or Alzheimer's disease whatsoever, were found to have significant brain changes that were consistent with advanced Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, these people didn't show any symptoms of the disease whilst they were alive because they had a large enough cognitive reserve to offset that damage. So they just continued to function as normal and nobody knew. Since then, research has shown that people with greater cognitive reserve are better better able to stave off these symptoms of degenerative brain changes, which are generally associated with dementia or other brain diseases like Parkinson's disease, 
multiple sclerosis, even strokes. So if you've got a more robust cognitive reserve, that can help you function better for longer in various events in your life, including you know times of stress, things to do with surgery, toxins in the environment, and even physical damage. As we get older, we have a greater risk of developing impairments in areas of cognitive function. I'm talking about things like memory, reasoning, and verbal ability. We also have a greater risk of dementia, which is what we call cognitive decline, and that's gonna interfere with your day-to-day -day life. How quickly you experience cognitive decline can vary dramatically from one person to the next. And despite this variation in people, one thing's for sure, even cognitively normal people are gonna experience some sort of pathological changes in their brain, including degeneration and atrophy as they age. It's just a part of aging. Now, atrophy is basically the wasting away of cells or tissue, and that can happen anywhere in the body, but today, obviously, we're talking about the brain. So by the time a person reaches the age of you know 70 or 80, these changes are gonna closely resemble those seen in the brains of people with Alzheimer's. And even so, you know, many people are able to function normally in the presence of these significant brain changes or, or even damage. So why do some people experience symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia while other people remain sharp of mind? Well, unsurprisingly, it comes down to cognitive reserve. And the evidence is pretty clear. The extent of someone's cognitive decline doesn't occur in line with the amount of biological damage in their brain as it ages. Instead, certain life experiences determine someone's cognitive reserve and therefore their ability to avoid dementia and memory loss. So what are these experiences that hold back the tide of cognitive decline and how do we put these practices into action? We wanna be increasing blood supply and oxygen to our brains. We wanna increase vascularization. It, and it's weird because when we hear the word vascular, we usually think of the heart, but our brains are incredibly vascular. Our brains, on average, give or take around about 1.4 kilos. And for anyone in Myanmar, Liberia, or the United States, that's about three pounds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The only people in the entire planet of Earth still using the imperial measuring system, Myanmar, Liberia, and the United States. So between 20 and 25% of our blood flow goes to one and a half to 2% of our body being the brain. That's pretty amazing. So what's left is you know roughly 98% of our body gets 75 to 80% of the blood. So the blood going into our brains is carrying oxygen and glucose to the part of the brain that's operating and controlling any of our actions. Whether we're thinking about a memory or carrying out a physical task, and it happens immediately. So how do we maintain a healthy brain? Well, we need to be constantly supplying our brain with oxygen and glucose. If our neurons don't get the nutrition they need, they die. Or it might cause lesions or problems that need repair. And as horrific as that sounds, it's pretty simple. We just need to keep feeding our brains. We want to engage in tasks that utilize the sensory cortex and the motor cortex. Our sensory cortex is directly responsible for all our sensory functions, right? Taste, smell, touch, all that stuff. And the motor cortex is responsible for all our motor movements, everything to do with movement. So if we can do any activity that's gonna trigger a sensory or the motor cortex, blood is gonna to rush to those parts of the brain. And that's the key to getting blood to the brain. So for one, being educated, that's gonna help us get blood to the brain. Having 
higher levels of social interaction or working in cognitively demanding occupations. Like if you're a manager or people who work in professional roles, these are gonna increase resilience and cognitive decline in dementia. And if you don't fall into those groups who are just naturally developing cognitive reserve through their work, for example, here's a bunch of examples of things that you can do that are more fun and don't really feel like work. One, you can learn a language. And if you think you're too old, that's ridiculous, you're not. And it's not that difficult either. And I say that because I've been doing it now every day for more than nine months with essentially no previous experience in any language beyond English. You know, I'm, I might only spend five or 10 minutes a day some days, but I usually try for at least 15 minutes a day if I can. And um, I found that to be you know, pretty easy to do, pretty easy to slot 15 minutes into your day. All right, so what am I doing? It's a language app that I downloaded on my phone called Duolingo. There's obviously other apps out there as well, but that's the one I use, that's the one I like. And on day one, I was already typing simple sentences. I couldn't believe it. Uh, you know, I, it taught me a, a bunch of words and then it said, translate this sentence into French. And I thought to myself, how am I supposed to do that? But then it, it started coming to me. So the, the app is really um, intuitive and it, it's, it's not just guesswork. There's a real science behind the way they're teaching you. So that worked out really well. So I'm learning French basically just because I like the way it sounds and it's a good language to start with in my opinion because there's lots of words that are identical in spelling and meaning in English. Uh, Duolingo aren't sponsoring me, by the way. That's just what I use. I have the paid version, but there's also a free version. So you can download the app and check it out. And if you just want to use a free version, then just use that. Or if like me and you really want to commit to it, you can get the paid version. I felt like I'd commit more if I paid for, you know, the, the subscriptions or whatever it is. Now, the other thing is you can go at your own pace. So once I'd completed a few modules, I just kept going back and redoing them over and over and over again until they became sort of second nature. And you know, then I'd move on to the next module and just hammer that repeatedly till it was locked in. Because you can kind of fluke your way through it. You might remember it today, but not tomorrow. But if you just keep going back again and again, that's when you're gonna lock it in, right? So another thing you can do to increase your cognitive reserve is learning to play an instrument. I started, oh, this is a nightmare. I started learning the electric guitar years ago, but I quit out of frustration because I had three different people teaching me and they all contradicted each other and they'd actually get their shits with me if I did something in a way that they hadn't taught. So, you know, there was one guy, he was really proficient in probably half a dozen instruments. He was in multiple bands and he's the sort of guy I'd, I'd consider a genuine muso. There was, I had another mate who was quite good. He, he just got to that level just from grinding away at it years and years and years of practice. You know, it, it wasn't easy for him, but it was just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And eventually, you know, he, he got good. And the last guy that was teaching me was a work colleague. He was a, a bit younger than me. Uh, and he's the sort of guy that I would say was naturally gifted. He, he picked it up very, very easily. And, you know, saying that he was naturally gifted probably doesn't do him justice because he was pretty amazing what he could do in you know in such a short time anyway um, I've downloaded the Fender guitar app and I plan on doing some self-teaching so I'll see how I go um, I haven't really done anything beyond downloading the app at this stage but I want that cognitive reserve 
and I've also got a, an electric guitar just sitting there gathering dust, so it'd be nice if that actually got some use. So I'm gonna give that a crack, and I'll keep you posted on um, my progress, and you know, maybe one day I'll even play something for you, <laughs> if I get good enough. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, socializing is good for cognitive reserve. Um, it's traditionally measured and, and quantified based on self-reports of life experiences such as your education level, occupational complexity and your social engagement. So socialising plays a big part and that can help increase your cognitive reserve. And we kind of do that anyway, so that shouldn't really be that difficult. But just, you know, be aware of it. Something that I can't remember the last time I did, but the puzzles. If you complete puzzles, that's going to increase your cognitive reserve and the more difficult it is, i.e. the more you have to think, the better. But if you wanna add some value to doing a puzzle, just simply do it while standing, because now you've added a motor function to the task in addition to the sensory function, you know, so you're engaging another part of the brain. And you might even wanna stand on one leg and try balancing, because that's gonna that's going to activate another part of your brain as well, right? So you, you wanna do, you wanna engage as much of your brain as possible in these tasks. Now, this is interesting. Phonological tasks, phonic, anything involving sound, tasks involving sound. And women have a huge advantage over men in this particular area because they use both of their both sides of their brain to perceive sound, whereas men only use the left side of their brain for some reason. I'm not sure why. I didn't really look much deeper than that, but that's the case, and it's really annoying <laughs> to me. Anyway, uh, sport. 
Playing sport increases cognitive reserve because we're engaging the motor cortex with physical activity and also the sensory cortex because we're thinking about stuff like strategy. You know, and if we're talking about a ball sport, we're thinking about where we're going to hit the ball, pass the ball, throw the ball, kick the ball. But, you know, also how hard we're going to throw it or how hard we're going to kick it. What sort of technique we're going to use to throw or kick the ball. So all these decisions are increasing cognitive reserve. And it's good because you're doing it on the fly. You know, you're not sitting there for an hour thinking about what you're going to do. It's all happening in the moment. So that's really, really good. Now, a lot of people are going to love this one. Traveling. There's so much involved in traveling. First of all, you start off with the idea. Then there's the anticipation. Then you're planning it. Then there's the journey to the destination. But really importantly, with travel, there's a start and a finish, right? So if you buy something, for example, that you really like, maybe a new watch or a nice dress, you get that dopamine hit at the purchase point. And that makes you feel really good. But after a period of time, the novelty wears off. So when you look at that watch, you're not getting that same enjoyment. Or you know maybe that dress just ends up in the back of your Uh, wardrobe and you never wear it again so it's less appealing at that point and therefore you know it wears off with the bonus with travel is that when you get home you're going to tell people about your experience and you're going to relive that experience and by doing so you're doing it in a social setting so you can even come back 10 years later and relive that experience again and it's still just as exciting right so you're you're engaging that memory and you're reliving the enjoyment that you had right so that's really really good so if you've got the opportunity to travel, assuming you like to travel, then, you know, if for no other reason, do it for your brain. Even making this podcast is increasing my cognitive reserve because learning new things like the software that I'm using for this podcast, the editing side of things, hopefully I'm getting better at structuring, you know, structuring the content, you know, the list goes on. But my point is anything new is going to increase cognitive reserve, new experiences, new thoughts, new memories learning new stuff. Now, I've spoken about stress before. Here's the thing. Stress kills neurons. There are hormones that are produced in the brain that are harmful to neurons and they will kill them. So that's why it's difficult to recall memories when you're stressed out or when you're trying to articulate something. You know, sometimes you can't find the words you're looking for or it feels like your brain isn't syncing up with your mouth. You, you know, you just can't get it. So, you know, if I haven't made it clear already, stress is bad. Now, as we age, there's plaques and proteins that clog up our neural pathways, and you know they're the fairly significant things that cause dementia, as far as we know. It's still a bit of a scientific hypothesis, but we're pretty sure, you know, but we can't say for certain at this stage. <laughs> when I say we, I mean obviously it's not me. I'm not out there doing the research. I say we collectively, as you know, as humans. Um, now. If you've got lesions in your brain, they can repair. They can self-repair. Your brain's going to try and find a way to repair, right? And that's going to happen through increased blood supply. So when we can no longer repair these lesions or any other kind of damage, that's when you're going to start to see a cognitive decline. So cognitive reserve buys us that time to get the repair done. So while these things I've mentioned provide an indication of cognitive reserve, they're only limited, you know, in helpfulness to identify those at risk of cognitive decline. There's gonna be genetic influences that obviously play a part in our brain development, and that's also gonna influence our resilience. Okay, so let's talk about brain plasticity. 
and essentially the fundamental brain mechanisms that underpin cognitive reserve are still pretty unclear. The brain is so complicated, there's so many richly interconnected networks that are responsible for our cognitive ability, we really just don't know that much about it. You know, we, to say that we know the tip of the iceberg about the brain, it, it's really the tip of the tip of the iceberg. These networks have the capacity to change and adapt to tasks or demands, or even brain damage. We don't completely understand how all that happens, but we know it does. And this capacity is essential not only for normal brain function, but also for maintaining cognitive performance in later life. So this adaptation, it's governed by brain plasticity, and that's the ability to be flexible. So the brain's ability to continuously modulate its structure and function throughout life in response to different experiences is really, really important. So plasticity and flexibility in brain networks is likely to contribute to cognitive reserve and these processes are gonna be influenced by both genetic profiles and life experiences. We can't do much about our genetics, but we can have a big influence on our life experiences. So a major focus of research has been examining how brain connectivity and plasticity relate to the reserve and cognitive function. And the hope is that we're gonna be able to identify a measure of reserve that reliably identifies individuals at risk of cognitive decline. Okay, so if you want to strengthen your brain with cognitive reserve, there's not a hell of a lot we can do about our genetic profile. Adapting our lifestyles to include certain types of behaviours offers a significant opportunity to prove our cognitive reserve. So activities that engage your brain, like the things I've already spoken about that can reduce your risk of developing dementia, right? So regular physical activity also improves cognitive function and reduces the risk of dementia. There's little evidence available to suggest what type of physical activity, as well as what sort of intensity or amount is required to best increase cognitive reserve and protect against cognitive decline. Our best guesses are activities that utilize both sides of the brain and both the motor and sensory cortexes, as I've already mentioned. There's also mounting evidence that being seated for long periods of time is really bad for our health. I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone. People have been talking about that for years. But now scientists are starting to think that by sitting down for long periods of time, that might even undo some of the benefits that we've gained through you know, periods of physical activity. So it's important to understand how the composition of physical activity across our day can impact our brain health and our reserve. And this is what scientists are trying to understand on a deeper level. Ongoing studies will continue to develop evidence-based guidelines and hopefully that'll provide clear advice on, on you know, patterns and physical activity that we can use to optimize our brain health and our resilience. Now, you know, having said all that, there are gonna be some sports and some activities that have the potential to be devastating to our precious brains. And you know, the obvious ones are you know, boxing, kickboxing, MMA, um, a bunch of different martial arts, um, and all those high contact sports where, you know, quote unquote, the best result is if you knock out your opponent. Uh, but scientists are also seeing some long-term brain damage and early onset of degenerative diseases and cognitive decline in sports like rugby league, you know, and other contact sports, obviously, where being knocked out is not the intention, but can sometimes be the result. So understand that you don't need to be knocked out to cause an injury. You can be concussed, you know, like have a concussion without actually losing consciousness. 
So any repeated action in sport or any other kind of activity where your brain is being smooshed around inside your skull, that can lead to cognitive decline or degenerative diseases later in life. And they could occur you know, earlier than you would have otherwise had them. So if you participate in these sports or activities, do your absolute best to protect your brain where possible. And it's not, it's not just about being clunked on the head. You know, it could be uh, that your body takes the impact, but your brain through inertia bumps into the side of your skull or the front of your skull or the back of your skull. You have that protective fluid that your brain floats in and that sort of gives you some cushioning. But imagine in rugby league, for example, where you get tackled really hard. You, you know, you could be running at full pelt, you get tackled, you, you're stopped almost immediately. So your body took the impact of, of that, well, your body took the impact, but your brain is still moving inside your skull, right? So it gets smooshed up against your skull and that can be damaging. So wearing protective headgear might not offer you the protection that you, you, know, you might think. I just wanted to quickly mention something that kind of dawned on me throughout the research of this podcast. And I had a quick look into it because it, it's a personal thing that I still do sometimes now. But knowing that using you know your left and right hands fires up opposing sides of the brain, i.e. you know left hand, right side of brain, right hand, left side of brain, it made me realize that I, you know, particularly in, when I worked in an office environment, but you know, other random times as well, I'd click my fingers in a certain way, like a bit of a tune, um, when I was concentrating or trying to remember something. And always did the same sequence. I always did it twice. And if I didn't remember what I was trying to remember, I'd repeat it. And, you know, when I look back in hindsight, I'm pretty sure that it helped me remember what I was doing. And, and very often that would happen within that first two sequences of clicks. And <laughs> a very unscientific quick Google search seems to confirm, you know, my theory. And that is, you know, that clicking or tapping your fingers can actually help you remember or concentrate because the thought is that your fingertips have nerve points that somehow engage the memory. I, I don't know, you know, if that's, if there's anything to that really. Um, I just thought it was interesting that I did it mostly to a positive effect. And, and there are apparently some people when they meditate, they press their fingertips together as well. And that's supposed to be for the same reason. Again, I don't know if there's any science based on that. It was just a very quick thing that I did. So this clicking that I did and you know still do, I'm probably going to do it more now that I'm conscious of it. So the next time I've got something on the tip of my tongue, I can't quite remember it. I'm going to do it and see if it helps me. And just so you have an idea of what I'm talking about, this is what this is what the click that I do, right? I'm using my left and my right hand. So that's what I did. That's two sequences of the same thing. And I'll do that not subconsciously, like I'm aware that I'm doing it, but I guarantee you when I was doing that in the office, everyone around me was way more <laughs> aware that I was doing it than I was, you know? So anyway, before I finish, I want to tell you about a really hectic fact about our brains. I heard this great interview of, you know, of a scientist named Gene McCash where he mentions how far our neurons would stretch if we laid them all out in a straight line and joined them together. So if you want, just pause this podcast for a minute and have a guess how far you think that might be. If I said that they would stretch for 50 meters, or roughly 54 and a half yards for my American listeners, does that sound realistic? 
What if I told you it was way more than that? What if I told you that would stretch a kilometre or 0.62 of a mile, give or take? Would that sound reasonable? You might want to sit down for this because that would actually stretch to the moon. Actually, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Although, it's an under-exaggeration because they'd stretch the moon and back. Now, I still can't quite wrap my head around that. I'm assuming that it's true. It came from a scientist who presumably knows what he's talking about. I've got no reason to, to think that it's not true. But that, that kind of fact is approaching the status of just, you know, unbelievable. So I'm going to leave you with that crazy thought. And once again, thanks for tuning in. I hope now that you know the benefits, um, you're all going to get out there and build your own cognitive reserve. And if you know someone that can benefit from this podcast, please forward it to them so they can start building their cognitive reserve too. And finally, as always, try to imitate my blood type and be positive. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.